Well, good morning. Uh, as Pastor Derek has already welcomed you, let me uh, again just say welcome. Welcome to this uh, scattered um, worship kind of gathering as we gather together uh, via this live stream. And we are so thankful for the technology and the tech team that come here and to put this on. Um, the Apostle Paul tells us in the Bible to greet one another with a holy kiss, uh, but Governor Andy says you can't do that. So um, the least we could do, at least we could say, for those of you that are joining us via Facebook Live, at least could we just say good morning to one another or let's just greet one another in the comments below. Um, we here at the Point Community Church, we have been in a series that we are calling the Storyline of the Bible, where we're just traversing through um, kind of the high points, if you will, not that there's any low points in the Bible. We're, we're, we're tracing through the, the storyline um, of, the, of the Bible, the story of God. And um, we started in Genesis chapter one, and we find ourselves today in Deuteronomy 18. And so keep your Bibles out. We're gonna be looking at that. We're also gonna be looking at a couple other texts of scripture. But before we get started, let's just, uh, let's just pause for a second. Let's pray together. Let's just remember in this moment and in this prayer um, that what we do here is a, it's a humble thing. It's a real thing that we are opening up the word of God, that God is speaking to us through his word, that I know um, for many of you that it's already been a busy morning um, with kids and people and whatever else may be going on in your life. And let's just, let's just humble our hearts as a, in a sec, for a second before the Lord as we hear from his word. Father in heaven, First of all, Father, we come before you and we give thanks to you that you are a God who has revealed yourself to us. We don't have to guess at what you're like. We don't have to guess at how we may be made right with you. We don't have to guess at what sin is. We don't have to guess at any of those things, but you declare them in your word. It's in your word that you, even in the text we see today, that you're pointing forward to a future prophet that is your son, Jesus, that would come live the life that we could not live, die the death that we deserve, be resurrected again, that by faith in him, we, be, we may be right. We be, may be made right, Lord. And Lord, we, we adore Jesus this morning. Jesus, by the power of your spirit, may your gospel go unhindered. Come to us wherever we may be, wherever we may be watching this, whenever we may be watching this, Lord. Break up the fallow ground of our hearts, Lord. What is we're even going to look at in this text? The warning is not to be like the children of Israel who have hard hearts. We look to you, Jesus. We look to your spirit that you have unleashed and loosed upon this earth, Lord, that he may, that he may soften hearts this morning and we may heed your words. It's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen. So the book of Deuteronomy, um, it is the, the final book of, that is um, under kind of Moses' uh, authors. It's, a, it's the last book that he's written. And when you think of the book of Deuteronomy, this is what I want you to think of. I want you to think of uh, renewal because that's what the book of Deuteronomy is. It's about covenantal renewal. The Deuteronomy is, um, it, it's, a, it's a very long sermon. It's actually what it is. It's like 33 chapters long. You thought I preached a long time. It's Moses teaching, preaching 33 chapters. And what he's doing is he's, he's preaching and teaching to the second generation of Israelites that have been released out of bondage in Egypt. So from last week, where we were last week, when we looked at the spies that go and look at Canaan, they come back and 10 spies say, can't do it. We can't cross over. Two spies say, hey, let's go and do it. And, uh, but yet the, the people of Israel, they believe the 10, 
40 years has transpired since last Sunday. Like I know it felt like 40 years for us this week as we've been on quarantine, but literally in the storyline of God, 40 years has now transpired. God's judgment has been um, unleashed upon the people. They have perished in the wilderness, that first generation that was released. And now we have a second generation. And Moses and Aaron, they've gathered them together and Moses has been teaching them. He's been reiterating to them the covenant. He's been reiterating to them the law of God and final instructions, if you will, on how the people of God are to live in the promised land. And embedded in this sermon, Embedded in this text is a, is, is a prophecy given by God to Moses that Moses gives to the people. And the prophecy is about a, a future prophet, a new prophet that will come. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, back to Deuteronomy 18, 15. And let's look at that first verse first. This is what the Moses writes to the people. That the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Now, Moses, as the prophet of God, he has played a vital role um, in, in, in the storyline of God. That Moses, as the prophet, it's super important that as the prophet of God, Moses has been representing the people before God. And he is also, he has represented God before the people. So those are the two uh, acts that he's doing. He's representing, he's representing the people before God. And he's also representing God before the people. That Moses represents the people before the Lord. Look at verse number 16. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. Mount Horeb is um, Mount Sinai. The day of assembly, it's the day that Moses comes down off the mountain with the 10 commandments in hand, two stone tablets that he brings before the people. We could see this in Exodus chapter 20, 18. It gives it to us in real time, this occurrence. And this is what, uh, Moses recorded it for us that occurred then. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and, they, and trembled and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They were afraid of God. Uh, and then Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you and that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. But that what happens in the story, what it illustrates is, it illustrates that the people understand that they need Moses to intercede 
They understand that what's occurring on the mountain, Mount Sinai, where Moses is ascending and meeting with God and God is descending and meeting with Moses. They're seeing, they're seeing the, the, the mountain shake. They're seeing lightning, thunder, smoke, all of those things. And they are understanding those things to be scary things. And so they're saying, Moses, you need to go before us. You go up there. You meet with God. You, you hear what God has to say and you bring it back down and you tell us. But as for us, we don't want any part of what's happening on that mountain. And it underscores and it highlights that the people are rightly afraid of God. But listen, being afraid of God is not sufficient enough to change us. We know this, they have a real fear, but we know that they're not deeply changed. They're not transformed into living like the people of God. We know this because as Moses is meeting on the mountaintop with God, receiving the rest of the instructions that will be included in the law, The children of Israel are at the base of Mount Sinai. And even though all of that action is happening up on the hill, up on the mountain, still the children of of Israel, what they do is they engage in idolatry. They make a golden calf. They say that this is Yahweh. This is the God, not the God that they're fearful of, but this God that is tame, this God that they can touch, this God that's a carved idol that's, that's golden that we can touch. And what this reveals to us what their idolatry and their rebellion reveals, it reveals the truth about the human heart. That the fall hasn't just affected our morality, although it's evidenced in our morality. But deeper than that, more than that, it has also affected our spiritual capacity. We are idolaters by nature, every one of us. That what Paul says in Romans chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and we live out, we give testimony. Our lives are in testimony of that, of those truths that we suppress the truth in our own righteousness, that we all have turned aside, that no one seeks after God. No, not one that, that our hearts are, are, are bent and, and, and distorted from the fall. A few years ago, I thought about getting into mountain biking. Now, I don't know how you do hobbies, but here's how I generally do hobbies is I get like really, really involved and I study and I watch YouTube videos and I read a ton. I get really, really excited. And then I want to dump a bunch of money into buying the equipment needed to do the hobby or to take on the project or whatever it is. And then uh, after a little while, I fizzle out and I fade out. And my, my, my wife has learned that about me. And so what she does is she, she throttles my spending on all of that And so a few years ago, I decided to get into mountain biking. I've been watching videos and watching guys doing flips and tricks and doing all that. I was like, kind of like the guys at at office where they're doing the the parkour. That was kind of me. I'm doing all of that in my mind. I'm thinking that's going to be me someday. And so I want to buy a bike, but instead of buying a fancy high dollar bike, we bought an $11 mountain bike at a yard sale. My wife, Luann, is like, you learn on this and then you can do. If you can do parkour on this, then we'll buy you a better bike. And so I got this bike for $11, but there was something wrong with this bike that every time I rode it, it had a, a shimmy and a wobble in it. And it turns out that, 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 that it had a, a, a bent rim on the bike, that one of the wheels was bent. And listen, no matter how hard I pedaled, that bent wheel just kept coming around. It just kept coming around. And listen, that is the way that we are by nature, every one of us, we are born with a, with a bend in our hearts, a bent rim 
that is a bend in our, in our wills. That when I talk about a bend in a heart, a deformity in our heart, I'm not just talking about our emotions. What I'm talking about is the very control center of our lives, the thing that we use with which we understand the world around us and we write and we understand God and we worship God with that that right there, that it is, that it is bent. No matter how hard you pedal, no matter how hard you try, that, that bent wheel, that bent realm just keeps coming around and coming around and coming around. And even a, a, a right fear of God, even being afraid of God, isn't enough to change us. That being afraid of God or afraid of the consequences of breaking God's law, it isn't enough to transform our wills and to reshape our hearts. And the storyline of the Bible, it gives evidence to this time and time and time again that as you study the storyline of the Bible, as we're reading the Bible in its context, I don't know how you have felt, but I know how I have felt. I have felt like, man, we are so messed up as a humanity. Man, we are so flawed, especially as we understand the children of God. And listen, even though we may be afraid of God, even though we may be afraid of death, even though we may be afraid of, the, of God's judgment, even though we may be afraid of hell, those aren't bad things in and of themselves, but fear isn't enough that fear may produce a temporary external conformity. It may produce a veneer of obedience, but it will not transform us. It will not shape us, that something greater is needed. That's why even in Deuteronomy 18, we have a prophecy coming about a future prophet, a new prophet that's coming. It's promising something new, something greater is coming than this thing that this prophet brings will ultimately reshape us, will ultimately change us. Not only did Moses, not only did he represent the people before God, but Moses represented God to the people. Now, Moses doesn't do this perfectly. In fact, this is where Moses gets in trouble, that Moses won't enter into the promised land either that God's judgment will come upon Moses and Moses will sin greatly before the Lord. And this is where he sins is in how he is supposed to represent God before the people and Moses will misrepresent God. This occurs in the book of Numbers. Numbers, when you think of the book of Numbers, you could think of um, the word wandering because that's what it's covering for the most parts is it's covering the wanderings of the people. But in Numbers chapter 20, we see this occurring. Now, what's happened is the children of Israel have gotten thirsty again. They're in the, the desert. That's the, the wilderness. It's not a wilderness like you may think of with woods and all of that, but it's a desert and they've gotten thirsty again. And they've cried out to, to Moses and Aaron and said, get us something to drink. And, and um, Moses and Aaron, they've gone before the Lord. And then this is what the Lord has instructed them that Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and he struck the rock with his staff twice and water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. So what happened was whenever Moses and Aaron interceded on behalf of the people and cried out to God and said, God, the people are thirsty. They want water to drink. 
Then the Lord told Moses, Moses, go to this rock. And what I want you to do is I want you to speak to this rock. Tell this rock to, to bring forth water and then let the people drink. But what Moses did instead, instead of going to the rock and being obedient to what God had commanded them and speaking to the rock, what Moses does is he gathers the people together and he says, now here now you rebels, as we read there. And then he strikes the rock two times. And what happens here is this is sinful. That what he's done is he's lost his temper with the people, but even more than that, even more than losing his temper, what God is saying here is this was an act of unbelief. That Moses, you have misrepresented me and you've, re, and you've misrepresented my, my heart, my attitude towards my people whenever you did that simple thing of striking the rock. And we can understand that probably to some degree. I mean, I understand that as a parent. You know, if my, um, my 17-year-old daughter comes upstairs and wakes me up at 11 o'clock at night and says, Dad, my 15-year-old my son, Grayson, will you please tell him to stop playing his drums? Which I'm not saying that has happened, but that could happen. My son is a drummer. His mama prayed for a drummer and the Lord heard her prayers and given her a drummer and he's a drummer. And he doesn't have the best understanding of time. And so he could have been doing this and this could very well have happened. And my daughter could have said, tell Grayson to stop playing the drums. And I could say to Kennedy, Kennedy, go downstairs and tell Grayson that dad said to stop playing the drums. And what if Kennedy went downstairs, but instead of saying what I told her to say, what if she punched his snare drum and busted a hole in it? Or what if she took his stick and hit him with it? And I'm not saying that's happened, but I'm just saying, what if that happened? What if she said, this is from dad as she did it. This is from dad and she hit him. Well, that would have misrepresented what I'd said to her. She would have re misrepresented my intention and my heart and my word of warning even coming to her. And that's what Moses does. That Moses is angry and he's frustrated with the people. Right or wrong, that's the way he feels. And what Moses does is Moses assumes a role that was not his to assume. That Moses has forgotten his role. In fact, you see that in that text that I read from um, Numbers 20. Look at what he says. He says, here now you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Can you imagine God, as Moses is saying that, how God must have thought and how God must have felt like we? What, Moses, are you, you got an ability to bring water from a rock now? I didn't know that about you. That he, what he's doing here is he's, he's showing that he's not a perfect prophet, that he's forgotten his role. And God will punish Moses' disobedience by not allowing him to go into the promised land. But again, what this highlights for us is it highlights the need for a better prophet, for this future prophet who will come, who will perfectly represent God to us, God to his people. And that is what's being promised in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Turn back over there, if you, if you will, or to Deuteronomy 18, 17. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. 
Jesus is the promised prophet. That Jesus is the perfect prophet of God that comes to his people. Just as it's being prophesied here in Deuteronomy 18, I will raise up from among you. He will be like you, Moses. He would be one of your brothers. And like Moses, Jesus was a Jew. He was a Hebrew. He was an Israelite from among their brothers, just as the Lord has promised. Like Moses, Jesus was born during a time when Israel was oppressed. Like Moses, Jesus was born. And as when Jesus was born, a local leader tried to kill all the Hebrew boys. Like Moses, Jesus spent time in the wilderness before his ministry. Moses will spend 40 years in the, in the wilderness before going to Pharaoh. And Jesus will spend 40 days in the wilderness. Like Moses, Jesus will come to deliver his people from captivity, from bondage, from slavery. That everything that Moses was in shadow, Jesus is in substance. That as a man, Jesus is the perfect representative for the people of God. That when the children of Israel, when they would sin and they sinned often, when they would sin and they would show dis and they would show their unbelief and they would grumble and they would complain, it would be Moses who would go before the people. That whenever the children of Israel would do that, God's, God's uh, anger would be kindled against them. And it will be Moses that will go and he will intercede on behalf of the people before God. It will be Moses that God will be the one to say, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to destroy them. And it will be Moses would be the one to climb the mountain or to go wherever. Like after the golden calf incident, Moses will lay before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights up on that mountain, pleading and interceding for the people on behalf of the people that the God may not do that. And then the text of scripture will say, then, and then God relented. Now listen, God always does what he's always planned to do. That God doesn't change his mind like we might change our minds. You must remember that God is infinite and we are finite and God is using words in the Bible to describe the indescribable to us. And so oftentimes God uses words and God uses pictures for us to understand. He, he attributes uh, human uh, um, attributes to himself so that we might wrap our minds on, around God. Like this, whenever it says that God relents or God changes his mind, this isn't saying that, that somehow man can thwart God's um, sovereignty or what God's plan to do or what God's determined to do. This doesn't highlight a flaw in God's sovereignty that what this does is this highlights our need for an mediator, our need for an intercessor. This by no means means that God is petulant or he's short-sighted or any of these things. But what this says is that we need someone to represent us. We need a mediator, a go-between, and that is who Jesus is. That Jesus is God becoming man. And Jesus will be tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. And he will understand us. He will represent us and he will become a better mediator and he will mediate a better covenant. That Jesus's mediation isn't exactly like Moses's mediation. The writer of Hebrews picks this up. 
that Jesus's mediation is a better, he's a better mediator. And even what he, how he mediates is better because Moses would mediate with words, with prayers, with intercession. But Jesus's mediation is not just a mediation of words, but it's a mediation of a work. Jesus's mediation is a mediation of life and of death and of blood and of sacrifice. That we are like the children of Israel that we have sinned and we have rebelled. We've turned to idols, every one of us, and we've manifested our unbelief time and time and time again. And maybe you're watching, maybe you're listening, you go, no, not me, I've been a pretty good guy. Well, remember how the children of Israel, how they um, demonstrated their unbelief, it was manifested in grumbling and complaining. Mic drop, argument laid aside. How many of us could say, yeah, gosh, that's me. How often we grumble and we complain as evidence to our unbelief, as evidence to our ability to know that God has given us everything that we need, that God is an ultimate control, that God is taking care of us. How often that has occurred in our lives. And we, like the children of Israel, we rightly and we justly deserve the judgment and the consequences of God, that we rightly deserve the wrath of God, but Jesus represents us, not just in the throne room, not just in the Holy of Holies, but Jesus represents us on the cross of Calvary. That Jesus is, what Jesus is doing on the cross is Jesus is mediating for us. He's interceding for us. We sing it in a song that we sing by uh, Charles Wesley, the song, Arise, My Soul, Arise. It says this, five bleeding wounds he receives, he bears, I'm sorry, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him. Oh, forgive him, they cry. Don't let that ransom sinner die that Jesus's mediation on our behalf, it's a mediation of work. It's a mediation of blood. It's a mediation of sacrifice. And listen, you need to know that. We have an enemy who in the Bible, he's called the accuser of the brethren. And I know that many of us that we spend our, our pastime, that one of our hobbies is It's self-condemnation. We take our own thoughts and our own words and we mingle that and we mix that with the accusations that come from the enemy. And this isn't even fictitious, made up stuff. Like we give the enemy real armament. We give ourselves real things. I mean, I understand that. I was there at four o'clock this morning as I laid in my bed and I was thinking about the pattern of my life, my thought life and all of those things. And the questions come like, am I even saved? But listen, This is where we must learn to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to ourselves. That that God's forgiveness doesn't just come on the basis of God's feelings of grace that he has, but it comes upon a real work, a real mediation, a real work of, of blood and of sacrifice that Christ does for us on a cross. That Christ on a cross, he is representing those who will place faith and trust in him. He is representing you on the cross and he is dying the death that you deserve. 
So whenever the enemy whispers those self-accusing, self-condemning thoughts, you need to preach the gospel to yourself. You need to say that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in, those who are being represented by Christ, that Jesus's mediation, it comes through his grace and it's all rooted in his love for us and his work on our behalf. But not only, um, not only did Moses represent the people, right, as a man before God, but he also represented God to the people. And we saw that Moses did this imperfectly. We even see it in the text that Moses says that there are going to become, there are going to come many false prophets after me are going to come. And how do you determine a a true prophet, the true prophet, true prophets versus false prophets? Well, he says that the false prophets, what they predict will not happen, but true prophets of God, what they predict, it will happen. And for the false prophets, don't listen to them. For the true prophets, you must listen to them. Listen, everything that Jesus predicted, Jesus fulfilled. Everything that Jesus promised and Jesus told that would occur, it was fulfilled. Everything down to the last minutia, to the last detail of his betrayal, of his death, and even of his resurrected resurrection that Jesus predicted and prophesied as the prophet of God, his own resurrection and his own death. And it occurred just as he said he was because Jesus is that future prophet. He is the prophet of God. He is the one, as um, even John says of Jesus, he calls him that Jesus just doesn't come to tell us the word and the words of God, but he is the very word of God. That's what John, as he writes his gospel in the first chapter, that's what he calls him. He is the word of God. The word of God was made flesh and it has dwelt among us. And that is who Jesus is. And listen, how do we respond? How do we respond to this new prophet? How do we respond, rightly respond to Jesus? Well, it's in Deuteronomy 18, two times. Throughout the Bible and other places, you listen to him. You listen to him. Listen, it is not accidental that as Jesus was here on this earth, that Jesus will take three of his disciples, the disciples he's the closest to, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus will take them up on a mountain. And on that mountain, Jesus will meet with the Father. The Father again will descend upon the Son. And Jesus will, his, his countenance will be changed. He will, he will shine. His face will radiate, much like Moses did whenever the glory of God fell. Jesus will self-radiate because he is the fullness. He is the glory of God. Just like what is happening on Mount Sinai is happening on this mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. And Moses and Elijah will appear with Jesus. And then a voice from heaven will come, the voice of the father. And that voice will say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then it's followed by this, listen to him. The same thing that was spoken in Deuteronomy 18. Now the father says over the son, Jesus, you must listen to him. How do we respond rightly? We respond rightly by listening to Jesus. And what was Jesus's message? Jesus' whole message could be summed up in Jesus' first sermon that he preached. It is this, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
That's what we're talking about in the storyline of the Bible. We're talking about the kingdom of God and Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near, it's here with you. And entrance into the kingdom of God happens through repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That repentance is the proper response to the prophet of God. That Jesus comes as the prophet of God with real power to change us, to transform us, to transform us. That Jesus brings his law. Although his law will not be written on stone tablets, his law ultimately will be written on our hearts as he makes our hearts new. It won't be written on cold, dead stone. It will not be written upon cold, dead hearts, but Christ comes to renew our hearts. Christ comes to straighten out which was crooked and what was bent. He comes to straighten us out through the power of his spirit, through his gospel that brings change, that what Jesus requires from us, Jesus will also perform. How do you respond? You respond through repentance. We are leaving, um, in the storyline of the Bible, we're leaving the children of Israel behind there. They, many of them died in the wilderness, and now we're, we're past that. We're, we're out of Exodus. We're out of the wanderings, and Moses will die. Next week, we're going to talk about Joshua, and we're talking about the, the conquest and the crossing over into the promised land. But this section that we're leaving behind, is such an important and instructive section for us. In fact, the apostle Paul writes, I think in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, all of these things were happening. They were occurring for our benefit, the New Testament church. And it's, it's so that we might des- not desire evil like they did. And as we um, close out this live stream, I want us to just, I want to draw attention to a text of scripture in the book of Hebrews. It is Hebrews chapter three. It's a sermon that um, the writer of Hebrews is preaching and here he's drawing on in the, in the same way. It's almost as if he's preaching and teaching through the storyline of the Bible. He's hitting the high points. And he talks about this, this that we're about to leave. He talks about how this is instructive to us. In Hebrews, the third chapter, the seventh verse, he says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So he's talking to us today when you hear this message. Do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion on the day of the testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And here's the word of warning. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Listen, repentance is giving in. It's agreeing with God. It's, it's bending your heart towards the, in obedience to the declaration and the teaching and the instruction of God. And hardening your heart is saying no. 
And the word of warning that the writer of Hebrews is using is saying, today when you hear this message, don't harden your heart. Don't tell the Lord no. Don't say no, thank you, not today. Don't continue to turn towards unbelief and towards idolatry. But what he's calling you to do is to don't be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. Do not harden your heart, but soften your heart and say yes to the Lord. Repent. That is what repentance means. It means to turn, to turn from the hardness of heart, to turn away from sin and to turn towards Jesus as the perfect prophet who loves you and receives you. And by his stripes, you are healed and you are forgiven. Turn to Christ. We used to have a little saying, what is repentance? Well, repentance, we say is the ABCs of repentance. A means this, it means to admit. When I ask you, even as you're watching this, have you done this? Have you admitted? Have you repented? Have you believed? Have you confessed? Have you admitted? Admission means that you admit that you are a sinner. You admit your sin before the Lord. You don't try to, 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 to minimize it. You don't try to reject it, but you embrace what you have done and you admit it. You admit it and you say, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner. And some of you, you, you need to repent and some of you need to repent for the first time. And some of you need to repent for the hundredth time. And the first time you repent, that's called justification and you're being made justified. And the hundredth or the thousandth time you repent, well, that's sanctification. That even as Martin Luther has rightly said that when, the, when Jesus says repent, he means all of our lives, we are continually repenting. We're continually doing this. We're continually admitting. Even me this morning, as I laid in my bed, I thought of this and I admitted, I admitted before the Lord. I admitted my sin before him. I said, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. Have you done that? Have you admitted? Have you said, Lord, I'm sorry for sinning against you. I'm sorry for turning my own, my own way. I'm sorry for trying things on my own to doing things on my own. Have you, have you said that to the Lord? Next is we believe. We believe that Christ can save us. You can't save you. All your good works is just like pedaling on that bicycle with that bent wheel. It just, that bent wheel is just gonna keep coming around and coming around and coming around. You can stand up and pedal. You can push and pedal. You can get different gears, but none of those things, ultimately, none of our righteous works, none of our morality will save us. Only Christ can save us. Only Christ can reshape what has been bent and what has been broken. Only Christ can bring forgiveness. You believe that Christ can save you. And lastly, you confess. You confess Christ as your savior. And if you're doing this for the first time, if you're repenting of sin, even the first time, and you need to do that publicly. You need to confess Christ publicly and your public confession of Christ is baptism. Now in COVID-19, we're having to figure out how, how we're gonna perform baptism and probably just gonna wait until this blows over by God's grace and we can gather again. But you need to do that. You need to earmark and bookmark this moment and you need to say, I need to be baptized. I need to be baptized symbolically of what Christ is doing in my heart today. I need to be baptized as a step of obedience and in my public confession of Christ as Lord over my life. In fact, if you are doing that, I'm gonna ask you to reach out to 
the elders at the Point Community Church. You can do that through that website that we've been, I mean, through that email address that we've been sharing, just info at thepointcommunity.net. And you could say, hey, this morning, I, I did what you said. I repented of sin. I turned away from my sin and I turned toward Christ. We'd love to follow up with you. If you need prayer for anything, we would love to pray for you. In fact, I want to do that now. Father in heaven, we thank you for the power of the Spirit that saves and sanctifies, that calls all, all of us to yourself, that covers us with your blood, Lord. Jesus, we give you thanks for your gift of your grace. We thank you. We give you thanks that your grace has been evidenced in a cross on which you died. We give you thanks that you've ascended on high where you are reigning and ruling and interceding even for us today. We thank you, Jesus, for being that perfect prophet that brings a better mediation, a better covenant to us, a covenant of blood that transforms us, that makes us new, that reshapes our wills, bends us toward you, Lord. Lord, do that work. Jesus, I'm thankful. Right now, I just think about in the in the book of Acts, how it said the gospel went out unhindered. I pray that your gospel would go forth unhindered. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's not a church building that regenerates souls. It's the power of the spirit. It is through the gospel, the hearing of the gospel. Those that have ears, let them hear. Would I pray that folks today would not harden their hearts, but folks today would repent. We would repent, we would bend, that we would admit, we would confess, we would believe, Lord, and you would be glorified by it. It's your powerful name that we pray. Amen.